Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Find Mark chapter number one. Mark chapter number one. Now, I want to say this. Uh, over the past four weeks, there's always a, there's always a sense when I go into uh, to mission weeks, there's, always a, there's, a, there's mixed emotions for me. Because, you know, what we did is we took a, a conference that would go three days, and we took the speakers and we ran them over four Sundays, all right? And so it's, a, it's the same amount of speaking that happens inside of a, a small conference. It just happens over a, a month. However, it means that I am not in the pulpit uh, per se, over those four weeks, I, I, I try to get in, you know, on, on, on the Sunday right after 9-11, try to uh, give some challenges and so forth along the way, but I'm benefiting from what uh, is being taught, but I miss being, uh, being in the Word with you, and so today I'm excited uh, to be, and uh, I'm not going back to the book of Acts quite yet, we'll get there, and really uh, I had to wrestle myself away from the book of Acts this morning because... I consistently am coming up against this, and this is really a need-based sermon this morning. I'm consistently coming up against this in the day in which we live, where we are, we are just like the title says, being driven by the life around us. Do you all feel that? You wake up, you get emails in the morning, and they totally change your week. You know what I'm talking about? Uh... It seems like life does not slow down. There's constant change, constant instability, and it's constantly there. It, you can't escape it wherever you look. You get the notifications on your phone. Everywhere, everywhere you look, you're, you're constantly being bombarded with you. You have to go on, and there's another emergency, and there's another, another emergency uh, there to deal with, and a crisis, and sickness, and all of a sudden you wake up and you know, someone in the family's sick and you, 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 there's all these things that are just constantly going on and evolving in our lives and we feel driven. How many of you feel like you have control of life? Probably not. How many of you feel like life has control of you? That's a little bit more accurate. You know, it's like I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not the dog wagging the tail. Uh, I'm the, the tail wagging the dog, right? You know, it, it, how, how it goes. It, it's reversal. It's like I, I don't have control of things. And, and so this morning's message really, I believe, will help us if we'll tune into the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and really uh, try, to, try to see what should we do when life is driving me, when I feel just driven, when I feel like the accelerator is stuck, when I feel like I cannot stop uh, in my, my life with God, in my life in work, in my family life, when I feel like I'm just driven, I'm propelled forward, and I can't go on. And really what I want us to see before we stand and read together is Jesus had just come through his temptation and uh, he was ministered to by angels. The God, the Father, sent angels to minister him to because he was weak. He had been through 40 days of fasting. Physically, he was weak. And so he's ministered to, and he goes on and begins his public ministry. And so he's in his first year of his public ministry. And 
obviously because of the, the, uh, the, the turmoil of his ministry or the, the, uh, the, the revolutionary aspect of his ministry. Uh, he's drawing crowds of antagonists and he's drawing crowds that are just curious to see what, what is going on. Why is he able to do all these miracles? Why is he able to do these things? And so he's drawing quite the crowds of the, the unrepentant, unreligious, and he's also drawing the crowds of those who are curious, but uh, perhaps religious, but haven't really been, uh, been uh, satisfied by the religions they're in. And so they're all coming out to see him. There's these large crowds that are constantly bombarding him, even into the late hours of the night. Jesus is seeing these masses come, but not necessarily at this point is he seeing many believe on him. There's, there is a, an aspect where it, sometimes his ministry in a city is even overrun by the masses, and he ministers to them and he cares for them, but in his heart there's a bigger priority, a greater purpose that he needs to fulfill because that's why he came to earth. And so here we find him up around the Sea of Galilee in the area of Capernaum, and he is ministering once again, and he, uh, he steps into a synagogue to begin to minister. And if you'll notice, as we've been studying through the book of Acts, that's exactly what the apostles did as well. They went to a city, there was a synagogue, they went there and preached and taught the gospel. And so this is what Jesus did. Um, they learned it from the greatest. And so let's stand and read Mark chapter number 1 and verse number uh, 21. And that's where we're going to begin this morning. Mark chapter number 1 and verse number 21. The Bible says this, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue. And what did he do? And... All right, let's do that together. Let's be all on the same page this morning. Uh, verse 21, what did he do when he entered into the synagogue? And there you go. And they were astonished at his doctrine. His doctrine, which is just the instruction, the teaching. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. No wonder, <laughs> because he, he is the word and he has all authority. Verse 23, and there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. I want you to get the setting because it's just like a service like this. They gather together to hear the word, to pray, and someone cries out. I remember several years back, Pastor Shaw was preaching, and a man back there stood up and said, you're a liar, and walks out. You know, and, and that was an interesting day. On one of the big to-do Sundays, and, uh, our, our, our community day, I think it was either my first or second year as pastor, I was preaching along, the police chief was over here, and someone else stood up. And uh, it seems like back in that, on that section, right about where Brother Huey is, and so I don't know what's... <laughs> Brother Huey, I hope you don't have any sort of unclean spirit this morning. But it seems like right about there is where these guys would sit, and they'd stand up, and they... And you know, it's unnerving for everyone. So get the picture, that's what's going on. It's, it's unnerving. He cries out, and he's saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? He knew who he was. Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Even Satan knows who Jesus is. What did Jesus do? Verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, hold Thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out. And they were all amazed. Wouldn't you be? Insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is a thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they 
Do obey him. Read verse 28 with me. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother. What does this mean? Peter had a wife, right? You understand that? Peter had a wife. I, I, there, there are people that, that believe that Peter is the first pope. Peter had a wife. Just under, let's, let's mark it down here. He had a mother-in-law. And so she lay sick of a fever, and anon, uh, they did tell her, basically, uh, tell him of her, basically, immediately, as soon as he walked in. Jesus, Peter's mother-in-law, has a fever. Verse number 31, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him, what? All that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And what? All the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out what? Many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And what did he do? And there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, read it together with me, all men seek for thee. And he said unto them, let us go into the next towns that, they, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Interesting. You would think that Jesus would run back to Capernaum and start helping out. But he says, we're going to go over to the next town and preach. Now, why in the world did he say that? Discovered that this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, for the testimony, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you touched my heart this morning with the thought that Jesus came in the flesh so that he might visibly demonstrate to us a pattern for how we are to live. Lord, I pray that we take your pattern, that we would lay it atop of our lives and that we cut off anything in our lives that does not match up with the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. So help us, Lord, would you arrest our attention would you help us, Lord, to understand your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So what can we learn from this day, basically a day and a morning, from the, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ? We often feel driven by life. I don't really have to do much introduction to, to prove that to you. you. It doesn't matter really your age. We, we feel driven by life. We're constantly going. There's constantly things on our schedule, constantly things that are vying for our attention, what can we learn from the Lord Jesus Christ that will help us to be God-directed as opposed to life-driven, where our lives are just on this constant roller coaster, this constant motion forward? And I'm just going to say this as, a, as, a, as a, an admission on my part. I'm still learning this. I'm still on this journey with Jesus because there's sometimes, many times, that I'm all too driven by life rather than being God-directed. And so we all need to learn this together. How many of you are with me this morning about that? All right, a couple of you. 
The rest of you need to teach, unteach the lesson, right? No, we're, we're all here. We all understand this need to, to, to be more reliant on God, more directed by God, and to be able to rise above the chaos of this life. And so I want you to, first of all, notice and really study with me this day in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did this day that he, when he walked into Capernaum look like? look like it says there in verse 21 he went into Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath day Mark likes to use that type of language immediately on the Sabbath day he is walking into the synagogue he is going to fulfill his purpose and that's what I want you to notice in this day Jesus was first and foremost focusing on his priority why he came to earth why he was in that city he did not let any time be wasted he immediately went into the synagogue to fulfill his duty now the sabbath day is saturday the jewish day of worship these synagogues came up in the late on the late uh, uh, bcs as as places of assembly as places of worship so it wasn't the tabernacle it wasn't the temple there were a synagogue in order for there to be a synagogue in a city there needed to be at least 10 jewish men for the support of that synagogue for the support of the the leader of that synagogue for the support of the functioning of that synagogue so there needed to be at least 10 uh, jewish men in that city and that's why sometimes you'll go along with the apostle paul throughout the book of acts and you'll find that there wasn't a synagogue in in a certain city and so like Philippi, there wasn't a synagogue there because it was an outpost of Rome. And so where was Lydia and the, on those that had a heart for God meeting? Down by the riverside. And so uh, th there was a synagogue here in Capernaum. He goes into it and he begins to teach there. Why did Jesus choose that spot? Well, it was a ready-made assembly. It was a ready-made assembly. There were people who had a heart at least toward God that were there that really needed to understand the truth of God and who Jesus Christ was. They needed to understand Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of much of the scriptures that they would read. So they are gathered there in the synagogue and Jesus communicated. He did not just go and sit in the synagogue. He did not just go and, and shine there. As we understand, the gospel has to be verbally communicated. So Jesus stands up and he actually teaches. What does he teach with? The Old Testament. He uses the word of God. We see that in other places throughout the gospel. He opens up the Old Testament. He begins to read. And sometimes he'd even say something along the lines of this. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And he would use himself. He would uh, show himself, promote himself, preach himself as being the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So he's there. He's communicating the word to them. Now, this was his priority. This was his mission. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The Bible goes further, Matthew 15 and verse 24. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What was Jesus practicing? He was going to his own. He was going to his own first. Also what he told the apostles to do. Go first to the Jews and then to the Gentile. And that's what follows out in the book of Acts. So he was to go to his own. And he was there in Capernaum going to his own. Those that had gathered in the synagogue on the Jewish uh, worship day um, to seek the Old Testament, and he was going there to show himself as the answer and the fulfillment of that. John 1, 11 tells us he came unto his own, and his own did what? Received him not. What a sad, sad, sad thing to have the Son of God, the answer to one's sin, the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies right in your midst, and yet so many rejected him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And so Jesus consistently 
demonstrates to you and me, let's stay on target. Let's stay on target. Listen, friends, we've just come through mission weeks. One of the things that you and I have to wrestle with is to stay on target. Mission weeks isn't just a September thing. Mission weeks is every week. Mission day is every day. Uh, as we leave this property, we will be entering into the mission field. The mission field is the next person that you meet that doesn't know the Lord. And so we have to stay on target just like the Lord did. He went into the city. Friend day is not just an opportunity. Oh, it's just a program of the church. No, friend day is an opportunity for you and I to stay on target to to be focused on our priority. I guarantee you, if you will put some of these in a pocket this week and you'll walk into the store, it'll totally change your mindset about being in that store. Further yet, if you'll put these in your hand as you walk into the store and you say, who is the person that God wants me to meet this week? Who is the person that he, he wants me to put in touch? You'll be totally changing your mindset about how you go about your day. You'll be focused on your priority. I'm not just inviting them to a program at church. I'm inviting them to hear the gospel, which, by the way, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, Lord willing. I'm going to go on record right now, and if the Lord changes it, you'll understand. But Matthew chapter 11 in the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you... Isn't that a message our world needs? Isn't that a message you need? Yes, it is. And so that's where we're going to be next Sunday morning. But this is all about staying on purpose. And so we want to do that just like the Lord Jesus Christ did. And like a flash flood as he is going through this, as he is staying focused on his priority, do you notice what happens in verse number 23 through 34, the bulk of our passage? you notice what happens? Every imaginable thing pops up. All right, so we're in this service. We're staying focused. We're presenting the gospel. We're, we're staying on mission. Jesus is, is preaching and teaching himself to them. And this man stands up and, and begins to cry out. Now, I've already talked about how unnerving that is. Because you understand, whether you realize it or not, this is two-way communication. But in a sense, this, this is a little bit different than teaching, where, where teaching is supposed to be two-way, correct? Right? But in, in a sense, this is one way, but it's really not. Your eyes say everything. They say, I'm tired, I need a cup of coffee. They say, I've had a long week. They say, I, I'm sad in my heart, the eyes of the wind of the soul. So it's really not, it's not one way, it's two way. Pastors see a, see a lot more than we all realize. but you know how unnerving it was in that setting. There was still a sense of decorum, still a sense of we're listening to someone present something. We're supposed to be receiving right now. And for that man, you know, you know that, that, that has the, the, the potential of really setting the whole, the whole audience on edge. And it did. But you know, Jesus takes it right in stride and deals with it. And so he cast out this devil in uh, verses 23 through 27, he casts them out, and Jesus has all authority. And by the way, once Jesus does that, it's done. It's finished. Aren't you thankful the, the deliverance of God, the deliverance of Jesus Christ is final from the moment it happens? Your salvation isn't an ongoing thing. I'm, I'm being saved. No, you were saved, and you're now living out the results of that, that, that moment in time miracle. That moment in time deliverance, and now you are uh, being sanctified, being changed to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this man was delivered, and then the news travels fast. Verse number 28, Christ's fame, uh, you could think of it as a report. And so 
all the, all the people that had just seen this thing, they're, they're calling up their friends, and really it's not calling because they don't have cell phones and phones. They might have carrier pigeons. I don't know what they had, but the Bible says it spread through how much of the region? I mean, it's just going everywhere. I mean, this is spreading really fast. And you know what this is? Have you ever played like the gossip train game? Like this is literally happening from mouth to mouth to mouth to mouth, from person to person. This is, word of mouth is spreading really fast and it's going everywhere. In that day. So I mean, it's going everywhere. And so as that news travels, it's in the middle of the Sabbath day and you know there's some restrictions on the, the Jewish people because they can't just get up and walk as much as they want on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees have added many, many traditions of men restricting the people. Interesting how that happens. That when people depart from God, they add restrictions on humanity. Just, just a side thought there. And they, they rob people of their freedom in Christ. It's interesting how nothing is new under the sun. So as you think about that, they're restricted and they can't be moving around because when we come to the, the verse number 29, what happens there, look at it with me. It says, and forthwith, they went to the house of Simon and verse number, let's go down a little bit further, uh, in verse number 32, and at even. So now all of a sudden there is this, this crowd that gathers around at even, at the evening time. What time was that? Six o'clock in the evening, which was the end of the Sabbath day. The Jewish day went from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. Not like ours, midnight to midnight. It was 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. So once that was released, they could all get around and run around in the dark. And they could get, you know, do what they needed. So here's what happens. As soon as that restriction fell off, all of a sudden, the whole city, everyone that's hearing this word to mouth, did you hear what happened in the synagogue today? Did you hear what happened in the synagogue today? All of them come out of their homes and their dwelling places, and they run over to Simon's house. How many of you would like everyone showing up after 6 p.m.? Now, be real. These are real people. Jesus really was the God-man. He was leading disciples just like you and I. And this is what happened. They've had a long day at the synagogue. It's been full of commotion. They're back. There's been sickness. Now Jesus has healed this lady. She's up feeding them and ministering to them. And all of a sudden, everyone in town, the whole town comes over. The whole town. Now, it's a very hospitable group of people. But um, even some hospitality is a little bit stretched. Do you understand what I mean? And so it says there in verse 32, all that were diseased, all that were diseased, all that, continuing on the same thought, all that were devil-possessed had this unclean spirit in them. Now I want you to stop and think about, think about that scene for a little bit. So we have people that are sick. What do sick people do? Well, sometimes they stay in bed. Sometimes they, what? Sometimes they isolate. Sometimes they moan in pain. Sometimes they have a physical malady that's not really pretty to look on. Sometimes sick people throw up. Are you with me? Like, this crowd was not, I'm going to go hang out with this crowd. This is not the crowd you want coming under your home. After being through this last year, everyone's like, you have a sniffle, stay home, stay away from me. You understand what I mean? Like, that, that's, what, that's kind of our mindset towards anyone that, uh, 
who just coughed. You know, he's just like, but this is not the crowd you want to be with right now. This is, this is the, all the sickies in town have gathered at Simon Peter's house wanting Jesus. But not just that, all the demon possessed in town. What do demon possessed people do? Scream, yell, carry on. You know, go through antics, dance about, do things that, that are non-human this is kind of an interesting crowd that's just showed up at Simon's house. Welcome. Welcome to my house. We're so glad to have you. Maybe not. So they're all there. Now notice what the, the Bible says there in verse number 33. All the city gathered at the door. So it wasn't just the sick folks and the demon-possessed folks. It was also the whole city. No one's at home where they're supposed to be. It's... it's Time to start going to bed. They don't have artificial lights. They have lamps and that type of stuff. They don't have flashlights and, and so on. It, it, they're all gathered outside. Now, I don't know how many people that was. I'm, I'm surmising that it, was, it could have been thousands. But there's a lot of people that had gathered at Simon Peter's house, the whole city. And Mark, under inspiration of Scripture, tells us three times that all the diseased po- folks, all the demon-possessed folks, all the city was there. So God wants us to know that. So we take that into account. Now, look at verse 34. Jesus heals how many of the sickness on the diseased? What? Many. Not all. Many. Uh, Going on, verse 34, how many of the the demon-possessed did he deliver? Many. Many. Not all. Many. So here is a jam-packed day, and Jesus has started it, focusing on his, on his priority. By the way, Jesus is perfect. He never lost sight of that. But here he is, all this turmoil, all this chaos develops in this day because everyone has a need, a problem, a physical problem that they want Jesus to handle. And by the way, much of still today, the gathering of people around the name of Jesus Much of it has to do with more of the physical problems that we have. I am in a financial mess. God, I need you. I have a sickness now. I need you. And it's the same thing that goes over and over. Very few people come to the Lord Jesus Christ simply because of a spiritual need. Many, the masses gather around the physical needs and what God can do for them. Oftentimes, it's, it's God is a good luck charm to them, and I can, I can get something met in my life. I can get this financial need met in my life, and therefore, I come. So here we have this whole group of people that, uh, that are gathered because of what Jesus could do for them physically. Jesus was very focused on his priority, which was a spiritual message that they desperately needed that would not just heal their bodies, but would heal their souls. And that was his focus. So you understand, all these folks have gathered around with this this great need, and this is this jam-packed day that Jesus is experiencing. I remember driving down a country road in in Wisconsin. I was on my way out to uh, work at um, Lake City Jewelers. Uh, This man that I knew in college, he was a jeweler, and this is where I had my wife's ring made, and uh, she got my ring, and we got some other things for for our wedding. And uh, I was on my way out there because he had bought a homestead that he was moving his jewelry store out of town. 
into, onto this piece of property out in the country, beautiful, beautiful piece of property, and it had this house from like the 1800s that he was going to fully redo. And so we gutted that thing, and myself and some other uh, college guys, we gutted that thing down, and we were a part of getting that thing from start to finish all the way done. Before I left college, you know, it was, it was done. We moved the jewelry shop over there on, into a barn-like structure uh, there on the piece of property, beautiful piece of property. But as I'm way out there, that was, that was filler. And I just I wanted you to have the picture. I was on the way out there, and my grandma's 1986 uh, Buick Regal Coupe. You say, why were you driving your grandma's car? Well, because in that year, I lived with my grandma uh, in her house, Fox Point, right on Lake Michigan. Well, uh, she was a mile from uh, Lake Michigan, but we were right there uh, by Lake Michigan. So um, I, I didn't have a car at that point. She uh, was nocturnal, and uh, she slept at uh, in the day, and she was up at night. That's how, how she was. She didn't like people much. She is, uh, she's, uh, she's gone on now, but she didn't like people much, and so it allowed me uh, to uh, use her car, and that's what I drove. Real cool car to drive to college. Like, I mean, real cool car. So it's a coupe. It was it, it, beautiful maroon interior, but this one day really, really surprised me. She loved cats, by the way, too. She had three cats. You couldn't walk through her house in a suit and not be like a magnet, you know, like it was, it, I just kept a lint roller with me. So, uh, so anyway, she, uh, her cats would get out into the, uh, the garage every once in a while. One of them walked on, on her car, her beautiful black car, with something on their paws and had cat prints across the hood of that car. I tried to wax it out and couldn't do it. But anyway, there, there's the car. And you say, what, what happened, Pastor? Uh, well, I was driving down this beautiful country road on my way to work, and um, I go over a set of train tracks and the accelerator sticks. I'd never had that happen before. But I'm telling you what, that was a freaky experience. And uh, so I, I'm going down, and I, I'm, not, I'm not slowing this thing down. It is jam-stuck. And uh, I don't remember what I got up to. I, I seem to remember something around 70 miles an hour before, before it finally uh, let loose. But uh, you know what? I'll always remember that black car <laughs> on that country road. Because it made, a, it made a pretty big impression on me. A, a, a stuck accelerator is a, really a helpless feeling. And you know what? I cannot help but think that that's some, sometimes what some of your lives feel like. I can't stop. There's all these demands. There's the phone call. There's the kids. There's the grandchildren. There's the sickness. There's the doctor's visit. There's what's going on at church. And there's... there's church on Sunday night, and there's church on Wednesday night, and there's a ministry, and I, oh, I'm cleaning, I'm mowing, and all these different things, and we, we get in our minds, I, I just cannot stop, and we feel a little bit, are you with me, like that accelerator stuck. So here's my question to you. This is really important, because we're looking at a day in the life of Jesus. So he had a priority. He had a day filled up with problems, just filled up like a flash flood. And what does he do? Because that's where you and I, we get in the same situation. We, get, we have days that are just filled up. Maybe your day is already filled up with problems. You're like, what am I to do with all this? What did Jesus do? Do we believe that question, what would Jesus do? Does it matter to us? Does what Jesus did 2,000 years ago have bearing on your life this week? Is it to adjust the way that you live? 
and I say yes, and you, you would say yes along with me, and well, you might be saying, I have a million and one things to do. By the way, that's kind of a funny statement right there. I have a million and one things to do. Well, I mean, that might just be a little bit of hyperbole. We have a lot to do, but a million and one. I don't know why it's not just a million, but a million and one things to do. And, uh, you know, I, I have, I, sometimes people ask me, uh, you know, how are you doing or uh, what's going on? And I, I, used to, I used to say this, and I stopped saying it. Oh, I'm staying busy. I'm thinking, what an awful response. What an awful response. Like, you know, I'm staying busy, and so, you know, there, there's no time to do what I'm doing right now. And, you know, even talking to you, I'm staying busy. You know, it's just what an awful response. So, yeah, but we feel that way sometimes. I'm, I'm just staying busy. I'm just going from this thing to the next thing. We have no white space. We have no margin in our lives, and we are, our accelerators are stuck, and we're going this way, and we feel if something doesn't change, we're going we're gonna to give up. We're going to be done. Is that Jesus? Is that Jesus at work in our lives? Is that the work? Is that the earmark of God's working in our lives? Come on, you can talk to me. I'd encourage you to have folks back next Sunday because I think this is a message, a, a message that we need to grapple with. Next week's will be the invitation of Jesus. Hey, come, come to me and find rest. But this is something we need to deal with as well. This isn't the Lord. What did the Lord do? What did he show us by example? And so let's look at it. Verse number 35. I want you to read it out loud together with me. Good and loud. So I know you're all awake here this morning on this gloomy Sunday. All right? Verse number 35. Ready, begin. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there, yes, he did. Yes, he did. You know what he did first? He made a determination. He made a determination, the same determination that you and I will have to make if we're going to get off the hamster wheel of life. My son Jack has a, has a, a rat. I've never seen a young man so attached to a rat. I mean, he carries that thing, that rat will go in his pocket, and it'll, you know, it's a little nose with his whiskers, you know, are up. I hate the day, I'm thinking about the day when that thing uh, goes on to rat heaven. You know, I, I just, I, I, hate, I hate even thinking about it. He is attached to this little rat. He sends me a video the other day of this, uh, of this thing uh, swimming through the bathtub. He was giving it a bath. He brought it up this morning. It's so soft, Dad. Don't you want to hold it? Long tail. It's a little rat. It's, it's, it's little. I mean, it, and it, it does have an element of cuteness to it. So, um, this rat, though, will get on the, the wheel in its cage. And if that wheel isn't oiled, it, uh, it will squeak all night to the point you need to take that, that rat wheel out and uh, get it off the hamster wheel. But, you know, you and I sometimes, we're on this, this wheel. We're running, running. I don't know if I'm making any progress. I don't know if I'm being effective, but I'm at least in motion. I'm at church, I'm doing something for the Lord, but I'm at least in motion, must be good. If I can just keep up with this until I die, I'll be good. No. How do we get off this? Jesus separated himself. He made a determined, a determined choice to separate himself from the noise. Now, this isn't, side, this isn't a side issue, friends, for you or for me. This is what Jesus did. After a day of trying to stay on focus, stay on priority, with all sorts of problems, Rising up, here's what Jesus did. In the morning, he rose up, he went out, he departed, and he prayed. Now, I want you to look at this. 
he separated himself from the noise. In the morning, after a hectic day, what do you want to do after a hectic day? Sleep in till noon, right? Yes, yeah, some of you, you say, I can't, I can't sleep past five. You know, whatever. He, he, I see some of you are like that. You're, in many ways, I envy those that you know, have the internal alarm clock just wakes them up at a certain time. Maybe I won't someday. But after a hectic day, he is rising up early in the morning. Was Jesus the God-man? So did he have the feelings that we have in our flesh? So do you think that Jesus might have been tired when he woke up? Yeah. So there was some determination. There was actual some, you know, I'm going to do this in him. You say, well, he's God, so he didn't feel it. No, he felt this in his, in his flesh. He felt all the feelings of our infirmities. So after a hectic day in the morning, he awakes before sunrise with no alarm, unless there were some chickens in town, probably around 4 a.m. Now, I am not coming to preach to you that you need to start getting up at 4 a.m. this morning. Okay, I, I'm not, that's not the point of the message, so we're not, we're not going there. But I want you to notice the determination he made. Jesus determined, I'm going to go spend some time with the Father. And so he goes on. He went out, so he went out of the house. He didn't stay where it was comfortable. He didn't stay where he could hit the snooze on the chicken. You know what I'm saying? He, he went out. He went out. No, he snooze on a chicken. <laughs> oh, boy, we better stop. He departed and went out of the area. He didn't stay near the house. He went out. The Bible says he went into a solitary place, away from people and away from habitation. He went out. It could have been the desert, but he went out. And that's really interesting to me because we get in our minds, you know, sometimes, you know, I can, I will find my easy chair and whatever. Jesus really removed himself from everything. And he went out and separated himself from the noise. That's really important. The Bible says solitary, a desolate place, uncultivated region. There weren't any, there weren't any signs of the city there. It was out. In fact, his, peop- his disciples had to come and looked for him. They had to find him. They had to search for him. And when they finally found him, they talked to him. But he was out that far. So think about that in relation to your life and to your accelerator being stuck. What are you going to do to be like Jesus? It's going to take some removing from the noise. What does that mean for you? Do you know that right now, as of 2013, I believe it was, there is now cell service on top of Mount Everest? I can't get cell service over in Petersburg, West Virginia. But you can get cell service. In fact, there's Wi-Fi spots on Mount Everest. So you're, you're climbing this grand mountain, I understand, for communication and so, and so forth, for safety. But you're climbing Mount Everest to get away from it all. And I'm up there and I still get a ding from Twitter. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's still accessible. You know what? It is harder for you and I to get away from the noise now than ever before. And much of the noise comes from the devices that you all have in your pocket. And I know it's, it's just, it's a part of who we are, so I'm not preaching against, uh, against that. But friends, it's going to take some resolve on our part in our generation to get away from the noise. 
And perhaps one of the reasons we feel so worn out and so exhausted and so driven and so much like our accelerator has stuck is because of this. There's a book out there, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. I, I've begun reading into that. It's amazing how much this has shaped us completely. Shaped us. And as much of the reason we have a constant, just a constant flurry of activity going on in our lives. Well, getting away from the noise may mean that you are going to have to do a Facebook technology fast. I didn't say get rid of it, throw it out of your life, live like a hermit on your street. I did, I'm not saying that. But perhaps you need to just say, you know, I'm going to fast. I was with my doctor uh, not too long ago, and I was, I've, I've been sharing. In fact, I want him to come and talk to a group of people and just try to help people as we go through um, these seasons of sickness. He's agreed to do that. We're still in the planning stages, uh, planning stages of that. But I was ta I'm talking to one of my doctors, and, and I was talking just about just the, the, the pressures that are on people. And he says, I see it everywhere. And uh, he said, but if people would just turn off the news for two weeks, they would actually feel better. I'm talking about, a, to my knowledge at this point, an unbelieving doctor. He says, if, if people would turn off the news, his words, for two weeks, they would feel better. And he goes on to tell me how much of the news is mind control. Now, he's not a conspiracy theorist and all that stuff, and, but, but so much of it is mind control. Why is it that you, you're watching along and all of a sudden you, you're, you're there in your house in the evening and all of a sudden you realize, boy, I'd really like some rapid fire pizza. Because you just saw a rapid fire, you know, it, it, it's on the ads, you know. It's amazing how much it draws you in. Your whole world can be. Have you ever noticed that on the news everything's falling apart? And you go to your neighbor and you still have a good relationship with your neighbor. Uh, you talk to people in your daily life and there doesn't seem to be the racial tension that you see on the news everywhere else. You see, you see what's going on? If an unsaved man can tell us, hey, Turn off the news for two weeks and you'll feel better. Maybe we as the people of God ought to just like realize, you know, I need to separate myself from the news. I didn't say be an ostrich and put your head in the sand. I'm, I'm just saying maybe we, ought to, maybe we ought to take some heed and some warning and separate ourselves from the noise. And so whatever that means for you, it, it might mean taking a day and I'm going to walk in one of the state parks near me. I'm going to walk there and I'm going to pray I'm going to seek God, I'm going to take my Bible, I'm going to take a book that will nourish me spiritually, and I'm going to take this day in this beautiful fall weather, and I'm going to go and meet with God. I'm going to get away from the noise. You say, I can't take a day. Maybe it's the best thing you need to take, but i got to keep going to my job. Listen, at some point we have to make a determination to take the foot off the accelerator and stop the merry-go-round, stop the rat race of our lives, and get away from the noise. I can't do that for you. In fact, this service can't do that for you. You have to make a personal determination like Jesus did to separate yourself from the noise and to get away. And so I encourage you in that way. The Bible commands us, listen to this, the Bible commands us, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Why does God have to command us? The same reason I have to command my two little girls to get in, be quiet and go to sleep because... As they get more and more tired, more and more exhausted, what happens? They get more active. I don't understand it. 
They run around the house, they get slap happy, and they start not thinking right, and they start not thinking logically, and they start being very, very crabby, but they're still in perpetual motion. And dad has to come in and say, no, this is enough. You must go to sleep. Why? Because they need that. And in a sense, God has to do that with us too. Enough. But God, i got to do this. Enough. Be still and know that I am God. I can handle this. You cannot handle it in your exhaustion. You know, we start making foolish, foolish decisions when we're running that way. And Jesus modeled to us after a hectic day of separating himself from the noise. Now, let's go a little further because it wasn't just a separation from the noise. We hear a lot about Eastern meditation today. In fact, you might even be told by your doctor, just meditate is one of the answers. Watch where you're getting your advice. And always filter the advice that you get through the lens of Scripture. Eastern meditation is all focused on emptying myself of me, emptying my mind, so I can connect with nature around me. Right? And that's the place that I'm going to find calm. This is the place, be it one with the trees, be it one with the flowers, the birds of the air. Right? That's what they say. So it's, it's, it's meditating, emptying my mind. What is Christian meditation? When we're told to meditate in, in his law all the day long, what is it? It's filling my mind with scripture, getting alone with him, filling my mind with his words, his words, not a program, his words, so that we might be more close or closer to God, hear his heart, so that we might be, as the songwriter says, near to the heart of God. You know, when we meditate on his word, it brings assurance to our hearts, it brings calm to our souls, and it's why the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. Think about it. Let God reassure you with his word that I am your God, I am your father, I have all things in control, I have not lost control of anything that's going on on earth, I will be the victor yet, yeah, all will stand before me and will give an account before me. I am the judge of all the earth, and I will always do right. That's our God. And so as we're there, as we're there, uh, we want to still uh, get alone with God. And it's not just to get away from the noise, but to spend time with the Father. Verse number 35, I, 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 here's what Jesus does. He spent time with the Father. It's just as simple as that. You mean that's why I came to church today? Yeah, Probably because every one of us needs to get away from the noise and go spend some time with God. And you and I would be very, very wise to plan something like that into our week, even if it means we have to skip a ball game or a TV show or going to a party. Get alone with God. You're not going to get your foot off the accelerator. The car's going to keep on going as long as you stay in the rat race, as long as you stay doing the same thing. You know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. We don't want to be insane. We want to be sane. We want to be biblically minded, right? And there's going to have to come a time where you're going to separate yourself from the noise and you're going to go with God. You're going to go spend time with God. You know, often in the busyness, we say, I can't stop. I can't stop. No, we need to stop. Hudson Taylor said it this way. When we work, we work. And when we pray, God works. God works. 
It's in those quiet moments when we've separated ourselves from the noise that we find out, really, God can handle this problem that I thought would take me days to take care of. And he has the ability to do that. So he goes and prays. He talks. And and the Bible gives the idea that he talked and he talked and he talked. It wasn't just a simple prayer. It, It was an ongoing prayer with his heavenly father three times in the book of Mark. We find that Jesus is described as having gotten alone into a desert place and he talked with his heavenly father. And if you'll notice and study these three times, I've mentioned them in your notes. Mark chapter 1 verse 35, chapter 6 verse 46, and chapter 14 and verse 32. And at each point, Jesus was at a crucial crossroads in his ministry where he could have uh, become the Messiah in a more popular, comfortable way. And each time he went to the Heavenly Father and he prayed and he gained strength. He gained strength to continue on and focus on his priority and to focus on why he came to earth. I'd encourage you to study those out. Jesus stopped to spend time with his Father. We have to do the same. Adrian Rogers said that I'm no better than my devotional life. Isn't that convicting? I'm no better than my devotional life. Every one of us needs to meet with God this week, friends. The world doesn't need the frantic you. Frankly, as you pray for me, you don't need a frantic me. And I've been there far more times than I'd like to admit. But I need this as well, the the quiet time with God. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way, we should never see the face of man before we see the face of God. As I was preparing this, a quote that hits home a little bit closer to me, and I don't know who said it, but it goes like this, a preacher who's always available is probably not worth much when he is available. And the determination to separate ourselves from the noise and get with God. Friends, we can be available to every person, every need, and we feel like it's our duty And the fact of the matter is, if we're not spending time with God, we are not going to be worth much to the people and the world around us. Be still and know that I am God. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me, God promises to us in Proverbs. Those that seek me early. Those that seek me early. There is that place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. And so it's time with the Father that gave Jesus clarity about what he was to do in the future because here's what happens. There's a decision that he needs to make going forward in his ministry there from Capernaum. He decided this. I'm going to be unswayed by the demands of people because remember, the previous day, he left some things undone. There were some people that weren't healed and there were some devils that weren't, uh, weren't uh, kicked out of the, um, the people and so there was some undone work. But what does Jesus do? He decides to be unswayed by the demands of the crowd Verse number 36 and 37, Peter comes to him and says, listen, all men are seeking for you. You've got to get back to Capernaum and go back into the rat race. So did Peter's call and message from the people in town, did, did Jesus really have to go back to that? Well, I know in our human hearts, we're thinking, well, I'm needed. I've got to go back there. I've got to take care of this, this problem and got to deal with this and even if it means i'll lose my health i gotta go back and take care of this right are you with me i'm astounded by what jesus did he remained unswayed by it in fact he does not even answer it 
And if we're honest, we're a little bit at this point, there's, there's the potential and the reality of our pride when we hear words like, everyone needs you. Well, I'm so glad that everyone needs me. I am the answer to their need. We feel needed. We feel valuable. Our ego is built. Being sought after. Boy, that feels really good. You know what? I want to say something. You and I were never meant to be the answer to everyone's need. You understand what I'm saying? You and I were never meant to be the answer for everyone's need. Jesus is. That's not a cop-out. But too many times we pull it right here. Everyone needs me? Oh, yeah? That's great. And our pride swells up. And this has a lot more, us taking a break has a lot more to do with my own pride being broken and my rest on God than it does with having to stay in this rat race. So let's think about this. So he's unswayed. He doesn't, he isn't moved by, by this. In verse number 38, he says, and he said, let us, let us go into the next town. Wait a minute, Jesus. Did you just hear what I had to say? Everyone back in Capernaum needs you. Let's go into the next town. Well, that sounds heartless. No, because the real need that they had was to believe on the Son of God, to be rescued in their souls. At this point, they were so focused on, their, on a, a sub-need that they could not even hear their real need. And we're not hearing the real need. And he says, I, I, I need to go over there. And so he did, decided not just to be unswayed by the demands of the world around him. He decided to be un, undeterred from his priority. And he says there in verse number 38, For therefore came I forth. Why did he come forth? That I may preach there also. I'm going over to the next town to preach the gospel to them. This is why I came. That's why I came. This is not a believer that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote to my knowledge, but you've probably heard of him before. Stephen Covey said it this way. In order to say no, you have to have a bigger yes burning inside. Have you, any of you heard that before? In order to say no to something, you have to have a bigger yes burning inside. Were their physical needs and problems, were they actual real needs? Yes. He's not negating that. But there's a bigger need. This is where we get into, I don't want to digress too far here, but this is where we get into with the whole social gospel thing. It's all about humanitarian effort. There's a bigger need. Now the problem is sometimes we say, there's a bigger need, and we do nothing about the bigger need. So that's wrong. Are you with me there? Sometimes we're really good about saying we're, we're against social gospel and uh, just focusing completely on humanitarian effort, but we don't do really good about getting to the bigger need, the bigger yes. So the bigger yes for Jesus was, it's not that he did not heal and it's not that he did not cast out devils, but the bigger yes was, I came to preach the good news of the kingdom. I came to preach the good news of salvation. So that's the bigger yes. So he identifies that to Peter. I don't know how well they were listening, but that's the bigger need. And this choice would not please man. It would not choose, um, please all the people in Capernaum, but it would please the Father. You know what? We have to get comfortable with the fact we're going to get off this rat race and being driven by life, that we're not going to um, please everyone else in life, but we will please God at all costs. Even if people are upset at me. 
He says, John 8 and verse 29, and he sent that, uh, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Him. So here's what I want us to do I want us to consider three takeaways to wrap all this up and take this home with you. I want you to consider this first of all. Doing, and I want you to notice, the Lord's work. The Lord's work. Which is a lot of things. Doing the Lord's work. Was it the Lord's work for him and good work for him to heal those folks? Yes. Doing the Lord's work and doing God's will are not always the same. You follow with me here this morning? They're not always the same. We can be running after good things, even church things. Running after and running after. I'm doing this and this and meeting this need and that. Doing the good things, the Lord's work. Things that would readily be ascribed or uh, described as the Lord's work. And doing God's will are not always the same thing. What happens in Jesus' life? Don't stay here and keep going on with this, this hectic routine and all the demands of these, of these folks. Go there and preach the gospel. That was God's will for him. So doing the uh, Lord's work and God's will are not always the same thing. Number two, here's what I want you to think about. Spending time with my father early, early, before the noise, before the emails, before it all. Spending time with my father early. I did not say how much time. Spending time. Connecting with God first thing. Spending time with my father early and being reminded of his will and his priority for my life will enable me to be undeterred by the endless demands, both good and bad, of the world around me. That is what's going to help me to rise up above that. It's not going and thinking through. It's not getting together with some other folks. What should we do in this situation? It is spending time with your father. And if you feel like you are just pressed, that you are just on this road to nowhere, you are, your accelerator is stuck, get alone with God. No one, no pastor, no church member, no church in the world can ever replace that very thing. Get alone with God. And by the way, he'll always be there to meet you. He promises that in Proverbs chapter 8. And then one last thought. Accomplishing the will of God is my only legitimate priority. Hello. Well, I got to do this and this and this. No, you do not. You have to accomplish the will of God. And when you accomplish the will of God, it is your only true satisfaction. Jesus himself showed us that in John chapter number 4. After he met with the woman at the well, he told his disciples, Hey, uh, they're, they're saying, you're hungry, you need some food. And he says, no, my meat, my satisfaction, my sustenance, my, my, my satisfaction is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Okay. Well, that clarifies things. So I don't have to be driven by all the demands all around me. i got to know 
I got to know the will of one person, and I need to accomplish that. And if and I, I accomplish that with all of my heart, I can sit down at the end of the day, though my work may be unfinished, and I can say, I pleased my father all is well. Friends, we got to get back there because the world and Satan wants to drive you to an early grave. He wants to drive you beyond your capacity. He wants to drive you into absolute discouragement and push you away from God and thinking, well, I've done this for God. I've done this for God. I've done this. I've done the Lord's work. But have you done the Lord's will? Only you and God with an open Bible and a heart of prayer can really discover that. Let me give you this verse. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. My satisfaction. We get satisfied with checklists. I got this all done. Had such a successful day. No, Lord, I admit to you today in this auditorium that my satisfaction is to do your will today and to finish your will. Finish your will. Some of you, in praying something like that, are going to have to surrender some things. You're going to have to say, I surrender all to God and to His way. Might even have to give up some pride. Because if I stop doing that, what will people think about me? If I don't do that, what will my family say? No, my meat, my satisfaction, my sustenance is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And would you find a place to pray this morning as we open up this invitation and simply ask, God, I need, I need the accelerator to stop being stuck. I'm sorry for not taking time with you. Sorry for having the wrong, the wrong idea about what pleases you. Would you find a quiet place with God this morning and talk to him? Father... Thank you so very much for the clarity of this illustration by Jesus. And I pray for your people. These are your people, your sheep, Lord, who you died for and you gave yourself for and you shed your own blood for. You love each one of them. Lord, I know I've heard it from so many of just the feeling of, of overwhelm and the feeling of being pressured and, and pushed and all, all these things. God, I pray that you would, that you would release you would release us this morning as we determine to spend time with you and to find your will for the, the day. So we ask for your help now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. And we look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church podcast.